Chapter Fourteen of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Fourteen. Master of the Situation. What have you come back here for? Fenwick demanded. You said you were tired and that you were going to bed long ago. The girl looked dreamily about her. It was some little time before she appeared to appreciate the significance of Fenwick's question. She was more like one who walks in her sleep than a human being in full possession of understanding. "'I don't know,' she said helplessly. She rubbed her eyes as if there had been mist before them. "'I was so tired that I lay on the bed without undressing, and I fell fast asleep. Then I had a dream. I dreamed that all the miserable past was forgotten, and that Charles was with me once more. Then he seemed to call me, and I woke up. Oh, it was such a vivid dream, so vivid!' that I could not sleep again. I was so restless and anxious that I made up my mind to come downstairs, and as I was passing a door just now, it opened, and the face of Charles looked out. It was only for a moment. Then two men behind him dragged him back, and the door closed once more. A foolish fancy, Fenwick growled. It was not, the girl cried almost passionately. I tried the door a moment later, and it was locked. I tell you, that Charles is in that room. I cannot go to bed again until I am certain of the truth. Oh, why do you keep me in suspense like this? Mad, Fenwick muttered. Mad as a March hare. Why don't you send her to an asylum? She is not mad, the cripple said in a curiously hard voice. Something tells me that she has made a discovery. You rascal, is it possible that you have Charles Evors under this roof? Fenwick laughed, but there was something uneasy and strained about his mirth. He glanced defiantly at the cripple. Then his eyes dropped before the latter's steady gaze. "'Why should I worry about Evors?' he asked. "'The man is nothing to me, and if by chance—' The rest of Fenwick's sentence was drowned in a sudden uproar which seemed to break out in a room overhead. The tense silence was broken by the thud of heavy blows, as if someone were banging on a door. Then came muttered shouts and yells of unmistakable pain. Hastily, Fenwick rose from his seat and made in the direction of the door. He had hardly advanced two steps, before he found himself confronted with the rim of a silver-plated revolver, which the cripple was holding directly in the line of his head. "'Sit down,' the latter said tersely. "'Sit down, or as sure as I am a living man, I'll fire. I could say that I fired the shot in self-defense, and when the whole story comes to be told, I have no fear that a jury would disbelieve me. Besides, there is nothing to be afraid of, those sounds don't come from the police trying to force their way into the house. On the contrary, it seems to me that some of your parasites are having a misunderstanding over their cards. At any rate, you are not to move. If you do, there will be an end once and for all of the millionaire Mark Fenwick. Sit down, my child. You are trembling from head to foot. It was his voice, the girl cried. I am certain that it was Charles who called out just now. Once more the shouts and cries broke out. Once more came that banging on the panels, followed by a splitting crash, after which the uproar doubled. Evidently a door had given way, and the conflict was being fought out on the stairs. "'Shall we go and take a hand?' Gurdon whispered excitedly. "'Murder might be going on here.' "'I think we had better risk it a little longer,' was Venner's cautious reply. "'After all is said and done, we must not make ourselves too prominent. If necessary, we will take a hand.' but unless I am greatly mistaken, the prisoner upstairs has got the better of his captors. Ah, I thought so. 
The sound of strife overhead suddenly ceased after two smashing blows, in which evidently a man's clenched fist had come in contact with naked flesh. There was a groan, the thud of a falling body, and the man in the list slippers came rolling down the stairs. He was followed a moment later by a young, clean-shaven man dressed in a grey Norfolk suit. His frame suggested power and strength, though his face was white, like that of one who is just recovering from a long illness. He was breathing very hard, but otherwise he did not appear to have suffered much in the struggle out of which he had emerged in so victorious a fashion. He made his way direct to the drawing-room, and immediately a woman's voice uprose in a long, wailing cry. "'I'd give something to see that,' Venner whispered. "'Only I'm afraid we can't do anything until the man in the list slippers comes to his senses and takes himself off. There is another one coming now. He doesn't look much better off than his colleague.' Another man crept down the stairs, swaying as he came, and holding to the balusters. He had a tremendous swelling over his left eye, and a terrible gash in his lip, from which the blood was flowing freely. Altogether he presented a terrible aspect, as he bent over the prostrate form of his unconscious companion. "'Here, get up, wake up,' he said. "'What are you lying there for? He'll be out of the house before we can turn round. And what will the governor say then?' The man in the slippers gradually assumed a sitting position, and stared stupidly about him. A hearty kick in the ribs seemed to restore him to some measure of consciousness. "'Don't ask me,' he said. "'I never saw anything like it. Here's a chap who has been in bed on and off for months, coming out in this unexpected manner, and knocking us about as if we had been ninepins. What's become of him? I should like to know.' "'What are you two ruffians doing there?' came Fenwick's voice from the drawing-room. "'Go back to your room, and I will send for you when I want you.' The men slunk back again probably by no means sorry to be out of further trouble. No sooner had they disappeared than the two friends stood in the entrance to the door of the drawing-room once more. The friendly mirror again stood them in good stead, for by its aid they watched as dramatic and thrilling a picture as ever was presented on any stage. The young man in the Norfolk suit stood there side by side with the girl in white. He had his arm about her waist. She clung to him, with her head upon his shoulder, there were words of endearment on her lips. Just for the moment she seemed to have forgotten that they were not alone. All the world might have been made for herself and her lover. For the moment, too, the dreamy look had left her face, and she no longer conveyed the impression to a stranger's eyes that she was suffering from some form of insanity. She was alert and vigorous once more. "'Oh, I knew you would come back to me,' she said. "'I knew that you were not dead, for all they told me so.' How cruel they were to tell me these things. Stop, the cripple cried. It sounds cruel and heartless for me to have to interfere just now, but I must insist that you go back to your room, Beth. Back at once. Can't I stay a little longer? the girl pleaded. It is such a long time since Charles and I— No, no, you must do as I tell you. It will be far better in the long run. We are only two men against three, and there may be others concealed in the house for all I know. For myself I am perfectly helpless— and Charles looks as if he had just come from the grave. Evidently his struggles have tried him. "'Well, I must confess I am feeling rather down,' Charles Evor said. "'I could not stand it any longer, and I made a dash for liberty. Goodness knows how long I have been in the hands of those men, and how long they have kept me under the influence of drugs. I suppose the supply fell short. Anyway, I had just sense enough to take advantage of my first opportunity. You can explain all to me presently.' but the mere fact of Fenwick being here is enough to tell me who is at the bottom of this business. 
Fenwick placed his fingers to his lips and whistled shrilly. Almost immediately, sounds of footsteps broke out overhead. A door opened somewhere with a loud crash. The cripple turned to the girl, who had crept reluctantly as far as the doorway. "'Now listen to me,' he said quickly. "'Listen and act quickly. Go downstairs to the street and bring here the first policeman you can find. Tell him a violent quarrel has broken out between Mr. Bates and some of his guests, and say you fear that some mischief will be done. Do you understand me?' The girl nodded quickly. Evidently she quite understood. She disappeared so suddenly that Venner and Gurdon had barely time to get out of her way. They heard the street door open. They were conscious of the sudden draught rushing up the stairs. The sound of passing cabs was distinctly audible. The girl had hardly time to get outside before three or four men came down the stairs. They rushed headlong into the drawing-room, where they seemed to pause, no doubt deterred in their violence for a moment, by the sight of the cripple's revolver. "'Here's our chance,' Gurdon whispered. "'The girl will be back with the police in two minutes, and we have heard quite enough to know the ingenious scheme which is uppermost in the cripple's mind. Let's lock them in. Don't you see that the key is in on this side of the door? Turn it quickly.' "'Good business,' Gurdon chuckled, as he snapped the key in the lock. "'Now they can fight as long as they like, at any rate. They can't do much mischief as long as they are caged in there.' A din of mingled voices came from the other side of the door, followed quickly by the whip-like crack of a revolver shot. Then someone tried the door, and yelled aloud that it was locked. Fists battered violently on the panels, and just as the din was at its height, the helmets of two policemen appeared mounting the stairs. Venner stepped coolly forward, as if he had every right to be there. "'I'm glad you officers have come,' he said. "'There seems to be something in the nature of a free fight going on here. We took the liberty of turning in as the door was open to see what had happened. You had better go in yourself.' The policeman tried the door, which naturally did not yield to his hand, and he called out to those inside to open in the name of the law. A voice on the other side pleaded that the door was locked. Venner turned the key in the door. "'Probably the young lady had the sense to lock them in,' he said. "'You had better go inside, officer. No, there is no reason why we should accompany you. As a matter of fact, our presence here is more or less an intrusion.' The policeman stepped into the room, and demanded to know what was the matter. They could see the master of the house sitting there in his chair, with a tall young man in a Norfolk suit by his side, and opposite him Fenwick, flushed and sullen, with his satellites behind him. There were four of them altogether, and the appearance they made was by no means attractive, seeing that at least two of them were showing unmistakable signs of violence. It was the cripple who first recovered his self-possession. "'I am sorry to trouble you,' he said, "'but I am afraid we have rather forgotten ourselves. You know me, of course?' "'Oh, yes, sir,' the first officer replied. "'You are Mr. Bates, the gentleman who is supposed to have been kidnapped the other night. The inspector told me that you were still on the continent.' "'Well, I am not,' the cripple said curtly. "'I am back home again, as you can see with your own eyes. The gentleman over there with the yellow face is Mr. Mark Fenwick, the well-known millionaire. I dare say you have heard of him.' Both officers touched their hats respectfully. They had probably come here prepared to make more than one arrest, and thus cover themselves with comparative glory, but the mere mention of Fenwick's name settled that point once and for all. "'As you are probably aware,' the cripple went on, "'until quite recently Mr. Fenwick was staying at the Great Empire Hotel, but the place was too public for one of his gentle and retiring disposition, and so he made arrangements to take my house furnished, though the understanding was that nobody should know anything about it. 
and nobody would have known anything about it, but for the fact that in the way of business Mr. Fenwick had to consult these other gentlemen. Perhaps they don't look the least like it, but they are all American capitalists, having made their money by gold mining. They don't look a very attractive lot, officer, but if you knew them as well as I do, you would learn to love them for their many engaging qualities and their purity of heart. The officers touched their helmets again, and appeared to be undecided in their minds as to whether the cripple was chaffing them or not. But though his voice had a certain playfulness of tone, his face was quite grave and steadfast. "'Very well, sir,' the foremost of the constables said. "'I understand that neither of you gentlemen desires to make any charge against the other. I shall have to make a note of this.' "'Of course you will,' the cripple said sweetly. "'Now I appeal to Mr. Fenwick and his companions as to whether or not the whole thing has not been a silly misunderstanding. You see, officer, gold mining is a rather thirsty business, and occasionally leads to rather more champagne than is good for one. I can only apologize to my tenant, Mr. Fenwick, for losing my temper, and I will at once rid him of my presence. It is getting very late, and I can come round in the morning and make my peace here. As I am a little lame, I will ask one of you officers to give me your arm. Charles, will you be good enough to give me your arm also? I wish you good night, Mr. Fenwick. In fact, I wish all of you good night. I shall not fail to call round in the morning. But you are not going, Fenwick cried in dismay. You are not going away from your own house at this time of night? You forget, the cripple said gravely, that for the time being you are my tenant, and that I have no more right in this house, indeed not so much right, as one of these policemen. I have sent my servants away, and I am at present staying. In fact, it does not matter much where I am staying. Come along. The trap was so neatly laid and so coolly worked that Fenwick could only sit and gasp in his chair, while his two victims walked quietly away in the most natural manner in the world. "'We had better be off,' Gurdon whispered. "'There is no occasion for us to stay any longer. Let us follow the cripple. By Jove! I never saw anything done more neatly than that.'" End of chapter 14